Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm your host, Eric Flickinger, and this week we are beginning a brand new quarter looking in the Sabbath School lesson at Managing for the Master Till He Comes. We're looking this quarter at faith and finances, how the two intertwine with one another, and it's a very important lesson, especially considering the things that have happened in the world over the course of the last couple of years and some of the financial challenges that many families are facing right now. Delighted to have with us the author of this quarter's lesson, Ed Reed. He is a licensed attorney and an ordained minister, and we're going to be delving in for the next 12 weeks into this very significant subject. But before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you for being with us today and ask that you will bless our time together in your word. Help us to understand how these two significant subjects, faith and finances, interact with one another and how we can be a blessing to others as a result of it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ed, thanks for joining us today. We're glad that you could be with us. It's a pleasure. I've looked forward to it. So give us a little overview of where we're going to be going during the course of these 12 weeks and maybe a little bit of behind-the-scenes background into how this all came to be. You've been involved with stewardship now for quite a few years. Uh, How did this lesson come into being, and and what's it all about? Well, this is an interesting topic because the background is very unique, I think. Right after finishing law school, the Georgia Cumberland Conference asked me to teach stewardship in that conference, and I used Larry Briquette's materials your finances in changing times first. And uh, people were so interested, it was so practical. And that's what we're going to like about these lessons. It's not just theological or not just uh, ethereal. It's it's actually practical day-to-day living that's going to be helpful to people. So uh, North American Division called me to to serve up there, first of all, as the secretary of ASI for three years. And during that time, the Review and Herald asked me to write a book about money management because I've been doing these seminars. So that's when I wrote It's Your Money, Isn't It? which is a bestseller, still sells really good in the ABCs. And uh, we did a series, the review did a series for us with uh, recording a video studio and so on. So we wrote the book and the workbook, and uh, believe it or not, I went to all 58 conferences in the North American Division, preaching and teaching and camp meetings, workers' meetings and teachers' meetings and so on. So it's been very popular. So this is, this is actually... The culmination of about 30 years of study that we're going to do this this quarter. So I'm looking forward to the practicalness of it. So we're getting 30 years of experience, practical experience in this subject, all distilled down into 12 lessons. And this is the first one. First lesson here we're starting off as part of God's family. And it's it's interesting, the uh, the memory text that you've felt impressed to begin us with is 1 John 3, verse 1, which says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. So in in the scope of these lessons, why is it so significant? What's the significance of us understanding that we're God's children? That's a very good question because the real bottom line is if we're God's children, we have a relationship with him. People always talk about having a relationship with God. If he's your father, you should have a good relationship with him. And this is one of the most practical ways to have a relationship with God because it's all a faith venture. Just one of the lessons we'll talk about tithing. If you give 10% right off the top to God, you have to trust him to take care of the rest of it for you. And he does that. That's one of his promises for us. So we'll get a whole lesson on that one in a few, a few weeks. As we delve into this week's lesson, Sunday's lesson is, uh, is called We Are Part of God's Family. I want to read this verse that, uh, that is in the lesson, Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15, actually a couple of verses here. 
It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So what's the the imagery that's evoked here, and, and is there some hope that we find in these verses? I think there is, but what is that hope? Well, this, this is very interesting that God has asked us to be his Father. When we look at this, it's real interesting. When Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount early in his ministry, he spontaneously told him how to pray, and he said, pray our Father which art in heaven. A few months later, with just private disciples, the, the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. So when he told them, he said the same words, our Father in heaven. He, he later repeats the same thing privately to his disciples, and that's the point we wanted to make now. Interestingly enough, at the resurrection day, when Mary came to grab his feet and hug him, she Jesus said to her, don't, don't try to hinder me because I haven't been to my father yet, but go and tell the brethren, I'm ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and your God. So his father is our father and his, our, his God is our God. A real close relationship. So if he's our father, how do we, that would make us children of God. How does a person become a child of God? Well, that's a good question because that's all we'd want to do, isn't it? become a child of God. The concept is really interesting because John, the first chapter, both the King James Version says it gives us the power to become the sons of God. John 1, verse 12. But the the, uh, New King James says the right to become the sons of God to them that believe on his name. And Galatians 3, 26 says, you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So once we enter into a relationship with God that way, he he blesses us with the power and and, and the strength to do it as well. This is loving imagery of a family. He calls his people Israel, my people, the sons of God, refers to the family as our father. And then the point is that we're in, in God's whole kingdom. When we get to Monday's lesson, this idea of God being our father, uh, I think gains an even deeper meaning because in Monday's lesson, it says that God is the owner of everything. Where do we get this idea that God is the owner of everything? Um, is it just something that you know, we believe, or is there a biblical foundation for it? Uh, how do we know that God owns everything? If he's our father, what does that mean for us? Well, many people in my generation worked their way through school. They worked hard to get their, their education paid for and so on. So you just think, well, God doesn't own my stuff. I own it myself. I've worked hard for it and so on. But the Bible is very clear, and you ask for biblical references, Psalm 50, verses 10 to 12, talks about every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. And the, one of my favorite ones is God says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you because the world is mine and everything in it. So he's not asking us for any help that way. Then Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2, talks about the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. One of my favorite ones is First Chronicles 29, 13 and 14. Many of you know that King David wanted to build a house for God. He had a beautiful home for himself and said, I need to build a place for God. So one day Nathan the prophet came to visit him and he said to Nathan, I have this idea that I want to build a wonderful house for God. And he told him about it and what he thought it looked like. And Nathan said, go for it, go go with it. What would you say if you were the pastor and one of your parishioners said, I'm going to pay for most of this and I'll be responsible for it. And he said, when can we get started? Well, that's what Nathan said, basically. But that night when he went back to talk to God, Nathan went back and had his devotions and God spoke to him and said, You'll have to go back and tell David that he can't build it because he's a man of war and has blood on his hands. And then the interesting part happened. David said, well, could you ask God if I could at least get the building materials together? 
and, and get the plans drawn and so on. And so he did, and, and he was allowed to do that. Now listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you next. David spent the rest of his adult life, his whole life from that point on, collecting the material for the temple. The Bible says that stones without number, cedar wood, precious stones, marble, gold, silver, brass without number. And it's all there together. So he piled it on the site where the sanctuary would be built. And then he called all the leaders of Israel together and said, we're going to have a Thanksgiving and praise service for God's been able to do this. And that's what First Chronicles 29, 13 and 14 says. David had a prayer in this meeting and he says, Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and we praise thy glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? Because all things come from you and of your own we've given you. In other words, we're just giving you back your own stuff. He recognized that God was the owner of everything. Even though he had worked hard for it and he'd paid for most of the stuff, he gave God credit for it. God is the owner of everything because he's our creator. So he's our creator. He owns everything. And I expect because we have some of it, we, we are not the owners. We're simply managing it. In fact, that's where the, uh, the concept of stewardship comes from. Uh, on Tuesday, you talk about the resources that are available for God's family. We are part of God's family. Therefore, some of these resources, it would, uh, it would seem, are available to us. What are some of these resources that God has made available for us so that we can be good stewards of, uh, of what he's given us? That's a good question because the last lesson, number 12, we're talking about the rewards of the faithful. And a lot of that is pie in the sky, by and by, people think, but it's real, of course. But the bottom line is there's blessings for every day, everyday life, the abundant life. And that's what John 10.10 says, that he, that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And I believe that I can look back on a long period of my life and just say God has really taken care of our family. There's no question about that. So we've had an abundant life from there. We also have John 3.16, and this one is amazing. And that is, everybody knows this by heart, but you have two options in life. You either have everlasting life or you perish. And that's an offer, offer that he's given to us. This is the hope, Eric, that we have when we're Christians, that we, have, we look forward to the hope. It's kind of like the carrot for making the old mule go forward, you know, the idea is that we have this hope and we have a song about it. We all love it. But that's what the hope is all about. First and foremost, of course, we have the gift of salvation. But when we talk about the gift, it, God made it possible for everybody to get it, but it only is to those who believe on him and, and follow him in that way. There are many verses in the Bible. Some of our other f- famous verses are uh, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. What's the next part? I shall not want. He's taking care of us. So that's important. Psalm, Psalm 37, 25. I can look at this and say that this is almost my experience. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed baking bread. Baking bread. So God provides for our food and, and drink and all the things that he has. Philippians 4, 19. My God will supply all of your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So Jesus asked his disciples when he sent them out, did you lack anything? No, they didn't. God took care of them. This is the day-to-day stuff we're talking about. So God has taken care of his people in the past. We can expect that he is going to continue to take care of his people, that is, us in the future. And this quarter, we're really looking at that, how he takes care of us and how he can use us to help take care of other people. One of the things that we're blessed to have is a companion book to this quarter's lesson. The lesson, of course, is called Managing for the Master Till He Comes. Well, we have a companion book that goes along with this quarter, which is simply called Managing for the Master. And, of course, you, Ed, are the author of this. 
Uh, if somebody wants to get more out of this quarter's lesson, give us a little little sneak peek into what this book contains that the lesson doesn't. Very good question. It's amazing, really, that there's, when the Pacific Press asked me to write the book, they said, don't just repeat the Sabbath School lesson, make it special. So there's a lot of things in that book that I've never written or spoken about in public before. It's amazing. For example, there's a whole chapter on covetousness. There's a whole chapter on rewards of the faithful in the end. And a lot of things like that are, are really incredible. We understand that what, what brought the devil down, this is Isaiah 14, verse 14. The devil says, I will be like the Most High God. So he wanted to, covetousness is, is the idea that uh, you have an inordinate desire for the, either the person or the possessions of another person, their position or their possessions. And Satan wanted to be like God. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, you know, for quite a while, and the interesting thing is the devil kept wondering, what can I do to get them? I know what I'll do. I'll do what got me. So he told Eve that when she came near the tree, if you eat this, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Same thing, coveting the possession of another, not satisfied with their own place. So that's just a little insight into what is in this companion book, Managing for the Master. If you are interested in picking this up, and I would encourage you to do so, you can find it at itiswritten.shop. Again, that's itiswritten.shop. You're looking for the book Managing for the Master by G. Edward Reed. And I'm going to be back with Ed here in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue with lesson number one as we are looking at being a part of God's family. We'll be right back. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about the study of the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious about God's Word also. Well, I want to share with you another way that you can dig deeper into the Word of God, and here it is. Itiswritten.study Go online to itiswritten.study and you can access the It Is Written Bible Study Guides. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will walk you through the Bible. It's going to be good for you, and it's the sort of thing that you will want to tell somebody else about so that they can dig deeper into the Word of God and come to know the things of the Bible intimately. As you get into the It Is Written online Bible study guides, you'll understand the prophecies of the Bible, the plan of salvation, and more. So don't forget, itiswritten.study. It is written dot study. Welcome back to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We're joined here, of course, by Ed Reed. He's the author of this quarter's lesson. And we're looking at lesson number one of 12. Uh, Ed, I want to go back to something that you mentioned just a moment ago because it, it's really a significant uh, subject. And that was on Sabbath afternoon, we were talking about the significance of being God's children. There are a lot of people, a lot of people in the world today who, well, many don't believe in God, but some believe that he, he exists, but they don't really have a, a personal relationship with him. Why is it so important for us to understand that we are the children of God and, and what benefits are there? Why is that so valuable for us to, to, to really be able to internalize that and allow it to sink in? Well, the real interesting point about this is that God manage, allows us to manage his affairs on the earth. Every local church has a treasure there, and every conference has a treasure. No one ever gets a check signed by God. It's always through people who have a relationship with God. 
And so he allows us to manage his affairs on the earth. He blesses us with the resources. And then we are the ones that he's entrusted to manage them. So we collect the money. We write the checks. We do the electronic transfers. We make the uh, budgets. And we bring in our tithes and offerings as worship on Sabbath morning. So there's a direct relationship between our relationship with God and what happens on the earth. It's really interesting also that the Bible encourages us to spend resources that God's given us for three different things. One is for our own needs, and that's always put first. The second one is for the needs of others that God puts around us. And the third one is help advance the cause of God. And the second two help store up treasures in heaven, as you may know. It's really interesting that, incredible as it may seem, God allows us to uh, raise his children, build his buildings, and educate the the succeeding generations as well. So there's a lot of responsibility and a lot of action and a lot of happiness involved as well. That's amazing that God, I don't know if I want to use the word condescends, he condescends to allow us to play a very real role in the care of others, in the spread of the gospel uh, all around the world by the, some of the finances that he entrusts to us. He then trusts us to put that back into spreading the gospel. Of course, we know that the gospel has to go to all the world before Jesus comes back. Uh, Jesus makes that very plain. And we get to play an active role in doing that. That's exciting. Uh, which kind of leads us to Wednesday's lesson, the responsibilities of, uh, of God's family members. So God gives us all of these gifts. He entrusts all of this to us. What, what should we do? Uh, how, does, how does that play itself out in our lives? Uh, because he's given us all these gifts, how do we respond to that in a way that makes God makes God happy, puts joy in his heart, and also is a blessing to others. Well, the real response given to us in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, is the total commitment to God. And the, it, we call that the Shema, actually. is Deuteronomy 6, 5, where it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And then Jesus, when he's giving his sermon to one of the disciples, said, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. So the real interesting part is the book of Deuteronomy, most of you are very familiar with the book. It's Moses' last uh, comments to Israel. And he says in that that uh, he reviews all the leadings of God from the Exodus clear to the promised land. It's an amazing story. And then he says in Deuteronomy 28, if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God and do all the things he's commanded you, then I'll bless you and all these blessings will come on you and overtake you. Now, this is interesting. I like that all the verses, all the translations of the Bible that I've read talk about blessings overtaking you. We see a lot in the crime world today, people are getting their car car jacked or something. You always have to watch out what's around you. How would you like to have a look around you and have blessings coming that overtake you? That's what it talks about there. So it's important that we understand that God's wanting wanting to bless us. And I think that's evident as you read the Bible. God does want to bless us, and he gives us some practical ways that we can uh, make ourselves more open to receiving those blessings. I think some of the blessings that he wants us to receive are, of course, financial, but there are other ones. There's health and there's spiritual blessings and so forth. It's interesting on Thursday, the lesson is entitled Treasure in Heaven. And the, the verses, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, are, I think, familiar verses to many Christians. I want to read those verses because I think that this passage really helps us to put into perspective 
how God's blessings and our situations that we find ourselves in, our realities, can come together. Here's what it says in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So these are words from Jesus, spoken by Jesus, and they're really they're directed towards us just as much as anything else Jesus had to say. And he tells us, do lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not here on earth. What do heavens, what do the treasures that we lay up in heaven have over the treasures that we lay up here on earth? Let me first give you a little bit more about the setting here, Eric. The setting is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And anybody that's taken speech lessons, knows there's an introduction to body and conclusion. Really, the body of Jesus' sermon is about money management. And he's trying to give good counsel about where to make your investments. So in this particular case, he's talking about, don't lay them up on earth because they're not safe here. It's not because it's wrong, it's because it's stupid. You lay it up here, you're going to lose it. Everything's going to get burned up pretty soon, as we all know. The point is that either way, remember that don't lay it up here because it isn't safe. That's the reason. But lay it up in heaven. But notice what the text says that you read. Lay up for yourselves. Now this is not, some people think, well, if I give a whole bunch of money to God, it just goes into a big black hole and that's the end of it. But you're laying up treasures in heaven when you advance the cause of God. That's the important thing to remember. I think that, that what we can look here and see is there's no, there's no thieves that break through and steal. It's safe there. The treasures laid up will, will, will be there also. You know, Ed, Ed, you make mention of a, or, or a, uh, you quote an interesting passage here from a book called Christ's Object Lessons. I want to read this uh, from page number 351. I think it's valuable, and maybe you can uh, elucidate a little bit on this for a moment. It says, Money has great value because it can do great good. In the hands of God's children, it is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, and clothing for the naked. It is a defense for the oppressed, a means of help to the sick. But money is of no value than sand, only as it is put to use in providing for the necessities of life, in blessing others, and advancing the cause of Christ. So money has no value unless it is put to something good. And the author here lists a number of things that money can be put toward in order to be a blessing to others. Any other thoughts on that? Yes, I think it's interesting. There's, people always ask, how can I store up treasures in heaven? And the last sentence there is one of the ways. Uh, of course, we all, we all need to provide for ourselves, but then the other two, helping others and helping advance the cause of God, store up treasures in heaven. You can just take any of the stories of the Bible, but I'll just give you an illustration. The rich young ruler is mentioned three times in the Bible. All three synoptic gospels mention the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, what can I do to be saved? And he said, well, keep the commandments. Which ones? He'd say, well, Jesus started telling him about the, the uh, Ten Commandments. Oh, I've been doing that since I was a kid. What do I lack yet? He says, sell what you have, give to the poor, and thereby you'll have treasures in heaven. All three of the synoptic gospels mention treasures by helping others. So it's a practical illustration of that as well in that case blessing others and advancing the cause of God. But money's valuable because it can do great good. 
The bottom line, I think, in life is that we want to die penniless. We want the trick is dismantling. How do we give it away to, to the right causes and so on? So Kathy and I pray daily that we'll be able to advance the cause of God by things that we can do to help others, help our local church, and help advance the cause of God. So it sounds like as members of God's family, when he entrusts us with these funds, he's entrusting, or he's trusting that we will do something beneficial with, with them. You mentioned there are certain needs that we need to take care of for ourselves, uh, our food, our clothing, our, uh, where we live, our shelter, if you will. But there's also a lot of things that we can do for the benefit of others. Some of them are very practical, maybe providing food or clothing or shelter for somebody else uh, in, in this life, if you will. But there are also spiritual things or ways that we can help out spiritually with others in, in advancing the cause of the gospel and helping people to get a better understanding of, of who Jesus is and what his plan for their life is. So it's, it's not just limited to earthly things, and it's not just limited to heavenly things, but it sounds like it's a mixture of both. Yes, indeed. And something interesting also is in this same sermon, verse 33, it says, I know you have needs of these things, food, clothing, and shelter, and so on, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this will be added unto you. So that's the kind of the culmination of Jesus' stewardship materials in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus on his life on this earth, of course. And right in the middle of it, he has this good counsel on stewardship. Seek first the kingdom of God. That means if we put God first, he'll bless the rest, and our whole lives will be blessed as a result of that. So that's encouraging. Now we know, in case we didn't beforehand, that we are part of God's family. And as a part of God's family, he he wraps his arms around us, he promises to take care of our needs, and he gives us some, some counsel, some wise counsel, on how we can best take care of the gifts that he has given us, what he expects us to do with those gifts. Ed, give us just a, a, a sneak peek, a keyhole view of where we're going to go for the next 11 weeks. We don't want to steal all the thunder, but we want to give a little, a little idea of some exciting things that we're going to look at in the next 11 weeks. One of the first things I'll tell you about is the fact that God makes contracts with us. In law school, first year of most of law schools, you take a course called contracts. And the, most contracts are uh, bilateral. If you do this, I'll do that. Well, this, the contracts that God gives us are the same way. There's a few unilateral contracts. Where God says, whether or not you do anything, I'll do this. Like he said, I'll never put another flood on the whole earth. Uh, sun and moon will come, sun and, and springtime and, and showers will come to people and so on. That's unilateral. God, what, no matter what we do, God's going to provide for us. But most of them are bilateral. The tithing contract we're going to study in a few weeks is the same thing. God says, if you do this, I'll do that. And that's the way we know God exists. Because of his providential leading, he answered, he, his promises are true, pro- prophecies fulfilled, and so on. Those kinds of things, we know God exists. So we're going to be able to make it very practical. I'll, I'll just mention one other thing. The prodigal son, when he came back, so anybody that hasn't been faithful when they come back to God, he'll give you the ring again to sign the checks. In other words, you can, you can be a faithful part of God's family. That's pretty exciting. So we're going to be looking at all of that coming up, and we're looking forward to having you join us. God bless you. Thanks for joining us this week. Next week, I'll be back again with Ed Reed as we continue our study of this incredible subject. We are looking at managing for the master till he comes. God bless you. We'll see you next time.